back, everyone. Hope you guys had a great Labor Day weekend. And this is Sam. And this is Kareen, and we are two Onk Ducks. We're ready to dive in into 2023 updates of our two-part episodes on localized and metastatic prostate cancer. And in this episode, we will cover localized prostate cancer as well as introduce biochemical recurrence. Terrific. So I'm glad we are updating this because it is a super high yield topic for boards every single year, as well as extremely relevant for if you practice oncology at all, because prostate cancer is one of the most prevalent cancers that we see um, here in the U.S. And interestingly enough, there's been a lot of updates on prostate cancer, and I staff GU oncology a little bit on Mondays. So I ran into a few instances where I didn't even know the updates in the past few months. So thank you so much, Kareen, for tackling this as our expert. So to start us off, how are men typically diagnosed with prostate cancer? Clinical manifestations of prostate cancer are frequently absent at the time of diagnosis. Men can be diagnosed from a screen-detected elevated PSA, and men are often asymptomatic, although occasionally develop nonspecific lower urinary tract symptoms or hematuria, and in 6% of cases, metastatic cancer is fine at the time of diagnosis. It's important to remember that PSA can also be elevated in a number of benign conditions like BPH, prostatitis, or lowered with some medications such as alpha reductase inhibitors. So men with a clinical suspicion for prostate cancer are referred to urologists to determine whether additional imaging, genomic testing, and or a prostate biopsy is needed, and often a risk-benefit discussion is needed based on the patient's age, comorbidities, and the level of abnormal PSA based on their age. Right. I think one important thing that you said is that PSA can be elevated for benign conditions as well. And so I think that's important to realize in clinical practice, as well as maybe on test day, since it could be a little bit of a red herring. What are our risk factors for prostate cancer? Increasing age and black men develop prostate cancer more often than white males, although data suggests that this is mostly attributable to socioeconomic disparities. And then a family history of prostate cancer also increases the risk. And so when someone is diagnosed with prostate cancer, what are the categories to determine treatment algorithms? Most commonly for localized prostate cancer, we use the NCCN risk stratification tool, which stratifies patients into very low, low, favorable intermediate, unfavorable intermediate, high, and very high risk by using the stage, PSA level, Gleason grade group, and biopsy risk. So to start us off, tell me more about the TNM staging system. So T1 are tumors that are not visible by imaging, and most commonly, this is T1C. T2 is within the prostatic lobe, with 2A being less than one half, to be more than one half, and 2C is both lobes. T3 extends through the prostatic capsule, and T4 is fixed or invades adjacent structures. And for stage 1 to 3, as I mentioned with the risk stratification, we use PSA level and grade of tumor. And then for stage 4A, these are any positive lymph nodes, including regional lymph nodes, which are nodes of the true pelvis, including pelvic, hypogastric, obturator, iliac, and sacral lymph nodes. And then stage 4B are any distant metastases, including non-regional lymph nodes, including those of outside of the true pelvis, such as para-aortic, lumbar, inguinal, and retroperitoneal. I think it's important to realize that stage 4A is lymph node positive disease, whereas many other solid tumors, that's usually a stage 3. So that's a nuance for prostate cancer that we should be cognizant of. And next, can you explain the Gleason grading system for prostate cancers? Yes. So the pathologist looking at the biopsy sample will assign one Gleason grade to the most predominant pattern in the biopsy and a second Gleason grade to the second most predominant pattern. For example, 3 plus 4 The two grades will then be added together to determine the Gleason score. 
And so a Gleason score of six is low grade, seven is intermediate grade, and a score of eight to 10 is high grade. And it's also important to know whether any cells are rated Gleason grade five, even if just a small amount, because this puts patients at a higher risk of recurrence. And then in 2014, the International Society of Urologic Pathology released a revised prostate cancer grading system called the grade groups. And this is much simpler with just five grades, one through five. And for lower, very low, this is grade group one with a Gleason score equal or under six, intermediate error grade group two and three, which is a Gleason seven, and high and very high are grade group four and five, which is Gleason eight and above. So in addition to PSA and the prostate biopsy, what else is needed as part of the initial staging process for prostate cancer? In the past, CT and bone scans were needed for T1 tumors with a PSA over 20, T2 with a PSA over 10, or a Gleason greater than 8. And this was a question on our board exams. And then a pelvic MRI was obtained for anyone with a 10% or greater predicted positive lymph node or a T3 tumor or greater. But now PSMA PETs can be considered for bone and soft tissue imaging for those who have localized high and very high risk disease. So in general, this is anyone with a T3 or higher tumor where the prostate extends through the capsule or a PSA over 20 or a Gleason of more than four. And PSMAs and MRIs may be used to supplant CTs and bone scans, but given the cost and access, this has yet to be universally adopted by guidelines. I think it's awesome that we're talking about updates, but also it's important to remember that the boards usually lag a few years behind these updates. So still keep in mind that bone scans for needed for the T1s with a PSA greater than 20, T2 with a PSA greater than 10, or a Gleason 8, and a pelvic MRI for anyone who has greater than 10% um, risk. But let's talk about some more updates as of 2022 to 2023. So tell me more about these PET PSMAs because it is a hot topic. As of 2022, patients with high and very high risk disease should be considered for a prostate-specific membrane antigen or PSMA PET scan due to the greater sensitivity and specificity for detection of both soft tissue and bone metastases rather than conventional imaging, so CTs and bone scans, or traditional F18 fluocyclovine PET scans. And there are two types of PET PSMAs that are FDA approved at this point in time, one, in, one of which is fluorine 18 and the other is gallium 68. And the bottom line is that if a PET PSMA is indicated, you wish ever agent you can get. And we don't yet know the true clinical impact of PET PSMAs. So it's helpful to identify a true positive while a negative scan cannot be used to exclude disease or inform nodal dissection. And the general consensus is that a scan that shows only low volume nodal disease should not necessarily change the clinical management so, for example, if a radical prostatectomy was planned, it should still be done even if the PET scan is positive. And there is a new classification system called PSMA positive nodes only, which is MIN1 or MIN2. And there is no consensus yet on how this should impact initial surgery versus radiation. And there is also a role for PET PSMAs for biochemical recurrence, which I will go over in a minute. Right. So, again, I think this is such a hot topic and something that we go over and over again in our clinics. So now that we've discussed staging, what are our treatment options for localized, very low or low-risk prostate cancer? So you have to consider life expectancy and comorbidities when approaching each of these treatment options, and there are calculators to help predict life expectancy. So the very low or low-risk patients are those with a PSA under 10, a Gleason equal or under 6, and no ADT is indicated for those patients. If they describe an elderly patient with many comorbidities and a less than 10-year life expectancy, observation is the right answer. 
However, if they describe a young fit patient with more than 10 to 20 year life expectancy, active surveillance is the preferred option. And then in some select cases, radiation, such as extended beam radiation or EBRT or brachytherapy, which is when radioactive sources are placed directly into the prostate gland or radical prostatectomy can be considered. And so how do we treat intermediate risk localized prostate cancer? So for intermediate risk, favorable or unfavorable, those are the ones with a PSA of 10 to 20, T2B or greater, as well as a Gleason 7. EBRT or brachytherapy or radical prostatectomy are all options. And for those that are higher risk, you may consider four to six months of adjuvant androgen deprivation therapy or ADT. And I'll go over the options for this in a minute. And then in some select individuals, active surveillance can also be considered. Perfect. And then how about the high or very high risk localized prostate cancer patients? How do we treat those? So again, I'm lumping some of these and simplifying just for the purpose of knowing what's important for the boards. But think of high and very high risk as those that extend through the prostatic capsule or adjacent structures. Those with a PSA over 20 or a Gleason of 8 to 10. And they will generally be considered for EBRT with two to three years of ADT, possibly with also brachytherapy, or you can consider radical prostatectomy with pelvic lymph node dissection. And then for those who are very high risk and are getting EBRT with ADT, we have an update that we didn't discuss last year where you intensify with two years of abiraterone based on the Stampede trial. And so patients that qualify for two years of abiraterone intensification are anyone with at least two of the following, which are T3 or T4 tumors, Gleason 8 to 10, PSA over 20, and this improved metastasis-free survival with combination therapy and concurrent radiation. Great. Look at that. A second update already. So what about those with regional localized disease in the form of positive lymph nodes? How do we tackle these cases? So if you have positive re regional lymph nodes, those stage 4As, you can still do radiation with EBRT and add ADT as well as intensification with abiraterone and prednisone. And so we've talked a lot about surgery and radiation, and we need to know the important side effects going into our boards as well as treating these patients. So can you go over a little bit of side effects for surgery and radiation? Yes. In a general sense, radiation can cause bowel dysfunction, urinary frequency or urinary dysfunction like incontinence and nocturia. And then radical prostatectomy can cause urinary incontinence as well as a greater chance of erectile dysfunction. And so you've also mentioned ADT or adrenaline deprivation treatment as part of adjuvant treatments for localized prostate cancers that are unfavorable or intermediate risk. And so can you go over the types of ADT as well as their side effects? Yes. So most are injections. So you have LHRH agonists, which are luprolide, gosarelin, and triptorelin. And the agonists cause a testosterone flare. So you give bicalutamide prior to starting these agents to prevent the flare, usually for two to three weeks prior. And they love to ask this question on both the internal medicine and oncology exams. It's not always necessary clinically to give bicalutamide before starting ADT or LHRH agonists if you have a low burden of disease. And then we have LHRH antagonists such as the Garalix and Relugalix, which do not cause a flare, so you don't need bicalutamide. One thing to know is that Relugalix is an oral pill, and it's given as three pills on the first day, then a pill once a day. And based on the HERO study, this had slightly less cardiac toxicity than some of the other options. And then it's really, really important to know side effects of ADT in general, which include fatigue, hot flashes, decreased mental sharpness, anemia mood swings, skin changes, diminished sex drive, osteoporosis, 
For any men requiring ADT for more than 18 months, a bone mineral density test or DEXA is recommended at baseline, and all patients should be on calcium 1,000 milligrams a day with vitamin D 1,000 IUs per day. And I'll talk about the second-generation antiandrogens and their side effects in next week's episode, including abiraterone. And in general, the duration of ADT is six months for intermediate unfavorable risk and then two to three years for high-risk or very high-risk disease. Great. So I remember the effects of ADT by calling it manopause. Um, So I think it's like menopause when women go through that change of hormones. So the fatigue, the hot flashes, the mood changes, some insomnia, the osteoporosis. So we're essentially stimulating a manopause in these patients. That's an easy way to remember side effects. Just think of menopause and manopause. So surveillance after treatment for a localized prostate cancer. How do we do this? So you get a PSA for 6 to 12 months for two years and then every 12 months. And if the PSA rises during surveillance, what are the management options? Biochemical recurrence is defined as a PSA of over 0.2 on two occasions following radical prostatectomy or greater than two following definitive radiation. And doubling time is very important. So if someone has a PSA, which is doubling in less than 9 to 12 months, we know that this is a clinically relevant change. And this is definitely someone we want to treat and be more aggressive with. And we know that if we don't, the time to metastatic disease is much less. So restaging is indicated when that PSA rises with a CT and bone scan, or if you're able to obtain a PSMA PET. And so after definitive radiation, if the PSA doubling time is under 10 months and there are no distant mets, consider salvage surgery. And then if you've had prior prostatectomy, if there's a detectable PSA with a doubling time under 10 and it's over 0.2, again, you restage. And if there's no metastatic disease, you consider salvage radiation. And then in cases where the PSA is over 0.6, you consider adjuvant ADT. And then if the imaging reveals metastatic disease, including in the lymph nodes, and the testosterone is still low, we consider this to be metastatic castrate-resistant prostate cancer, and we will go over the treatment paradigm for this in next week's episode. So basically, know the cutoffs for biochemical recurrence, and if someone has had prior surgery, do radiation if they have localized disease, and if they've had prior radiation, do surgery if they've had localized disease. Right. This was an awesome overview for localized prostate cancer. And so what are our key takeaways for this topic? Make sure to understand the basics of staging for prostate cancer based on the TNM stage, along with the grade and PSA level. And there is an evolving role for PET PSMAs as part of the staging for high or very high risk disease, as well as biochemical recurrence. And when you're considering treatment options, always take into account life expectancy. And so if they give you an elderly patient with many comorbidities, a PSA under 10, a Gleason equal or under 6, likely they want you to pick observation. On the flip side, if they're giving you a young 50-year-old with prostate cancer invading the prostatic capsule, a Gleason more than 8, or a PSA over 20, you need to consider the local therapy options in the form of radiation and adjuvant ADT or radical prostatectomy. And then for those that meet the criteria for abiraterone intensification, which is a high-risk localized disease, or at least two of the following, which is T3 or T4, Gleason more than eight, PSA over 20, you need to consider those two years of abiraterone and prednisone. Absolutely make sure you know the types of ADT and their side effects, and know that you need to give bicalutamide prior to LHRH agonists like luprolide, gosarelin, and tryptorelin. And then during surveillance, pay attention to the PSA doubling time. If it doubles in less than 10 months, restage the patient with conventional imaging or PSMA PETs.
Great. So as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Good luck with your studying for boards. Stay tuned to our part two of updated prostate cancer episodes next week, which will go over metastatic disease. And feel free to reach out to us with any corrections or comments on our Instagram or our Twitter, 2OncDocs.